Okay, so I'm David Clements from uh, just north of here, Trinity Western University. And uh, I'm going to be talking about Arasha. And just as I begin, it would be interesting to know how many of you have had some familiarity with, with Arasha. I know just talked to someone who's a member. So just a few. So hopefully uh, be able to enlighten a few others of you. I, uh, as you can see here, I, I'm a founding member of Arasha Canada. Um, Peter Harris, who founded Arasha International, came to speak in the late 1990s at Trinity Western, and there was at least um, a dozen people there to hear him talk. And so very humble beginning. And, but the next thing I knew, we were at a student's house, and I didn't even know this student, at a potluck and forming Arasha Canada that night. And uh, not much happened for about a year, but Peter Harris was coming back. And um, this uh, woman who uh, had Arasha was, was bent on Canada having Arasha. And, and she invited me early and said, we're forming a board and you're going to be the chair. So I've been on the board of Arasha ever since then. It's been a wild ride. And uh, we picked up Glenn Carlson on the way. And he is... Uh, not here today, but he's cheering from the sidelines. He's our science officer. He retired early from uh, the BC Ministry of the Environment, and he's found his work with Arasha in conservation science, which is what we're talking about, uh, a lot more uh, rewarding than working for the government. So I think a lot of what I'm going to be talking about relates to Second Chronicles 714, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So this connection between the wholeness of the, the human person and their uh, spiritual health and wellness with the connection uh, with um, the health of the land this is what Arasha, this is where Arasha really works. And um, this is the picture that um, Arnold talked about last night that uh, has people from Arasha serving the land, helping the land, but at the same time helping the human community. So this is this connection as we do our conservation science. So I'm going to start by introducing a bit more what Arasha is and then what conservation science is and then try to convince you that Arash's way of doing conservation science works. Um, so Peter Harris is the founder, says, what we are are the loving purpose, what we can see are the loving purposes of God in the earth's very making and sustaining. As we ourselves respond in ways he provides, so we understand better that he is far more committed to creation's restoration renewal than we could ever be. We're promised wisdom for our work and his hope to guide us to good solutions. Both can make intensely practical differences to each working day. And really notice the word practical there. That, that, that word practical fits with a lot of what Arasha does. And this quote is from uh, a new book that Peter just uh, finished called Kingfisher's Fire, which tells the story of Arasha unfolding in the last 10 years or so with now in 18 different countries. And of course, it comes from Portuguese and the rock. So this is the awkwardness of Arasha. <laughs> what does this mean? What, what is this? How do you pronounce it? But it's Portuguese. You have to ask the Portuguese the real pronunciation. And I don't know if this uh, video will actually work, but we can see if it actually does. 
But there, uh, Melissa Ong, who took that photograph we've been talking about, she's produced a number of, of promotional videos that you can find that are really um, neat communication avenues for uh, Arash. I don't know if I mean, uh, the sound. Let's see. <laughs> anyway, um, I can be the sound. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is uh, just showing a spectrum of, of what Arasha does throughout the world, um, restoring wetlands. Like in this is the original Portuguese um, center, but we're also in um, other areas like uh, Africa there and working with. Um, the, again, the human communities as well as the uh, the environment. So, as I said, this is just a very quick glimpse of uh, Arasha here, but I'll try and enlighten you further. Um, so, this is Peter and Miranda Harris. Um, that was Miranda's voice, supposed to be narrating the video, and uh, the original Portuguese center and some of the neat creatures of God that we steward, like the elephant shrew and the roller up there. I'll have more to say about the roller later. And I think the five C's that John Stott helped to uh, craft really help outline what Arasha does. Christian, of course, at the very beginning, underlying all we do. But as I'll talk about later, we partner a lot with non-Christian organizations. So it's all the more important that we keep Christian at the, the heart of things there. And then this conservation, the tagline for Arasha is actually Christians in Conservation. And I can remember a Canadian uh, board meeting many years ago um, when the government wanted us to have something in our name to explain what we did because they don't like that term, Arasha. And um, we decided to put Christians in Conservation there, even though, of course, many mainstream environmentalists would uh, raise their eyebrows. So. Community is, is also central to what we do. Um, we form these study centers in every country where we work, and people live in community and interact with the community around them in often cross-cultural ways. And then there's this cooperation where we work with other organizations, and, and I myself am a big example of that because Trinity Western, as I'll talk about, works with Arasha. So, um, conservation science is a scientific discipline that has a lot of unusual characteristics as scientific disciplines go. And it was started, maybe, um, I shouldn't say it was started, but one of the roots is John Muir, who wrote articles like God's First Temples, How Shall We Preserve Our Forests? And eventually it influenced political thinking in the U.S., which in turn affected things like um, national parks formed throughout the world. Um, this is uh, the early 1900s. And then by the 30s and 40s, we had Aldo Leopold arguing for a land ethic where the land actually had rights. Um, very different way of thinking that had been to that point. But, of course, uh, the post-war boom was exciting time to be materialistic. So we needed a wake-up call from uh, Rachel Carson to uh, think about you know, our, our impact on the environment and how we behave. And then conservation science itself can be traced, uh, at least the, the, the formation of the society um, happened in 1978 from an impassioned speech by Michael Soleil. 
And now it's become a very uh, prominent among the scientific disciplines and with many practitioners. And it's interesting, it's referred to as a crisis discipline because there's an environmental crisis. But you could also say it's a discipline in crisis. So we'll talk a bit more about that as we go along. And I think the way uh, Van Dyke from Wheaton here describes conservation science, you can see why it's not a normal science. It seems to be going outside the boundaries of science in almost every one of these points. Um, the object of study is diversity of life. But then suddenly, by point two, you've got values into the equation. Um, and then advocacy, crisis-oriented, the uh, multidisciplinary nature is a very challenging aspect of it. Um, it's concerned not only with the here and now, but what will happen through evolutionary time. And then it's, it's adapting constantly. And it's got regulations, like we talked about with Roosevelt. So um, often at the ASA, we talk about how science is supposed to be value neutral, but how that doesn't work. And conservation science is a classic example. And you have, uh, say, if, if you could call him a conservation scientist, uh, David Suzuki always um, you know, speaking at a very emotional, value-laden way, even though he's a scientist. Um, and then you, you see these postulates that Soleil has come up with. Diversity of organisms, good. Ecological complexity, good. Evolution is good. Biotic diversity has intrinsic value, that's good. And wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a science. You know, how can we have a science where the goals are to make everything good and, and to recognize this goodness in creation? And uh, of course, these guidelines are, are subject to some control by the facts of science, by the empirical data. And me, as an invasive biologist, recognize that full well. Diversity is not always good. It's not always good to introduce new species like the giant hogweed, which we're trying to keep out of Langley, where I live. But back to this value question, where does intrinsic value, that's the fourth um, normative postulate there, where, where does intrinsic value come from? And to me, it just seems difficult to. Uh, place intrinsic value on creation just because it's good unless you have some reason to know that it's good from a, a more um, less, less uh, instrumental. Like it could be good because it does a good function in the ecosystem, but does that really mean it's good? And I think this is where Christianity and other religions can supply this goodness. And to give you a practical example of this, this is uh, Marcou Costomo, our Canadian executive director, and we partner with a lot of non-Christian organizations. And usually, um, maybe a few weeks or a little bit of time after we start working with an organization, he sits down with his uh, colleague and, and says to them point blank, um, do you feel a bit uncomfortable working with us as a Christian organization? And inevitably, um, they, they admit, yes, uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. And Marcou can sense that they, they think he has a Bible behind him, and he's about to reach for it and smack them on the head with it. But uh, then, then he goes on to explain why Christians are in conservation. It's, it's to praise the Creator. It's because it's just a normal part of what we do. We want to do conservation, not to necessarily convert you. It might happen, but, 
but it, it's, it's really an expression of our praise to God and our, uh, our worship of the Creator. That's why Christians are in conservation. And then that tends to relax the partner quite a bit. So we have this goal-oriented field, conservation science. And like all other sciences, um, it has some challenges. And one interesting challenge is that uh, they've done work to show that you know, all these great conservation science studies come out, but how much good really comes from them? How much of the recommendations in the scientific reports are actually carried out? And uh, so that, that way it can be a discipline in crisis rather than a crisis-solving discipline. So the question is, can Arasha succeed in avoiding some of these pitfalls? And uh, I'm going to give some practical examples of this in... Uh, in the spirit of what I talked about with Peter Harris, the, 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 the very practical, uh, as you can see here, hands-on work that Arasha does and uh, trying to do right, loving mercy and walking humbly. So to help me with this, there's been two recent reports that are available on the web. Here's the Canadian one that Glenn Carlson, my co-author, slaved over. And we also have formed an advisory committee. And unfortunately, John Wood's not here at this meeting like he is at most ASA meetings. But he's an excellent member to advise us on the, uh, the Christian science interaction. We also have a number of other um, scientists trying to, to make sure our conservation science in Canada is uh, rigorous. And we open the international report. The first thing you see is the typical gloom and doom, tens of thousands of species in danger, and a statement by the IUCN that makes these lists that we are linked with biodiversity and we need to protect biodiversity for our survival. But then Arasha comes along and puts the bar just a little bit higher and says, um, we have always promoted the joy of biodiversity, but we would want to go further in stating the moral imperative of restoring the ecosystem to support the poor and fulfilling much better the God-given mandate of creation care. So we see this especially in our African product, uh, projects where you've got um, you know, a lot of poverty and starvation, and yet we're, we're training people how to ban birds. And how do these things fit together? Um, this is the challenge for Arasha. And so I'm just going to go through the uh, categories in these reports, looking at priority species, surveys, ecosystems, and conservation action. And, um, this is uh, Trish Bueller, a student of mine, who's uh, been working in France with Arasha France this summer on that beautiful blue bird we saw earlier. And uh, it's a neat uh, arrangement here because she uses her scientific background as much as she has as an undergrad. And um, Arasha France gets the benefit of that, and she is getting a course credit. And this is her up and close and personal with, with creation there with the, the roller. This is an endangered bird they study in Arasha, France. And I think her statement here really, I mean, this is one statement that encapsulates a lot of what Arasha is about. My time here has been really good. I've enjoyed meeting the volunteers here as well as some of the Arasha leaders. I feel like I've been inaugurated into the big Arasha family. It's been interesting to see how Arasha works, both as a center of research as well as education and a little community in itself. Volunteers work on plant surveys, bird surveys, education pamphlets for landowners about the biodiversity of their land, making jam, helping with the kids, etc. All this happening in one house. 
very holistic approach. And it's been really cool to live in a community like this. I think being here has helped me understand a bit better of what Arasha is about. So other priority species we monitor include this butterfly we have um, on our Trinity Western property on Salt Spring Island. And the beauty of it is now that everything Trinity does is Arasha and vice versa because we have this partnership where um, the, the original guy that discovered the butterfly, Patrick Lilly, was uh, a field resources coordinator. He got 50% of his salary from us. 50% was raised through Arasha um, through his own raising support like an um, environmental missionary. And this is some of the work being presented at a local conference by Alicia here. And so, again, Arasha is very practical. So I think by forming these partnerships with academic institutions like Trinity, um, the, the science can be advanced more. And here we have a succession of uh, field resource coordinators. Now we have uh, Melissa uh, at present. And all of them have been working on another priority species, an endangered um, snail. And that research has been moving along quite quickly. And uh, this is uh, Melissa here. Um, she's leading a bird walk here uh, for Earth Week. And another thing she did was form a student chapter of, of Arasha at Trinity. So another neat partnership. And Wheaton has a chapter. And these uh, Arasha chapters are cropping up all over. So um, survey and monitoring happens all over the world, including Lebanon. And of course, this is a very pol difficult political environment to work in. It's amazing what's happened there. We sent a number of Canadians over to Lebanon. And uh, it's interesting also France has sent their amphibian expert over to do surveying. So you can see one of the benefits of having a worldwide organization is uh, working together. And also in Canada, now Canada is almost like many countries because it's so big. And we have a, a center in Manitoba as well. And they've counted 17,000 uh, raptors in two years. The, the program's ongoing. And uh, it actually is the largest spring raptor count in Western North America. So this shows uh, you know, a small organization by doing unique things like this can make a contribution. Here they are enwrapped in their raptors here, enraptured. <laughs> Um, and then this is the original site in Portugal. Um, not that the site is burned, but um, nearby they're, they're studying uh, fire ecology. So this is um, concern for the local ecosystems. And in Portugal, there's a huge concern. Um, I mean, it would have been lost without Arasha totally. But still, even with Arasha-Portugal there, there's been a lot of political um, fights to maintain this ecosystem. And we in the Little Campbell watershed, this is where we have our center in Western Canada, in British Columbia. Um, this area is very threatened by urbanization. So we're rapidly trying to study the ecosystem. And here you can see at the bottom here, this is where our field study center is. And most of the watershed that we're trying to protect is uh, agriculture or urban. And uh, pressure from both on the stream. So we've been doing a lot of work. Um, with the stream and also uh, replanting vegetation. This is Paul Neufeld, who uh, runs uh, agricultural system as well as uh, grows trees for restoration. So here's some of the salmon we're trying to uh, help by restoring areas of the Little Campbell watershed. So we deliberately took on this small project, this area, so we could do something practical and stay firmly uh, and humbly in that area. 
So we've done things like invasive plant removal, planting species, and uh, improving habitat for the salmon, as you see here. And uh, of course, this is at a very local level. And you think of that term, um, act uh, locally, think globally. Um, but these days, the big uh, personal stewardship issue is often your carbon footprint. So Arasha International has this program called Climate Stewards, which I think is a unique approach to this in terms of conservation action. Because uh, normally, um, when you buy carbon credits, when you're guilty about traveling to a conference, say, in Oregon or something like that, you, uh, <laughs> you, you pay for, um, say, trees to be planted or something to be planted to soak up the carbon. But um, Arasha is planting trees in Ghana for the Clim Climate Steward Program, but we don't guarantee that your carbon is going to be sequestered. But we do guarantee that this long-term environmental stewardship project will be carried out the people of Ghana will benefit, and the wildlife will benefit. And it's a very different type of scheme than, than simply one-to-one um, -one carbon credits. And we also work on uh, conflicts between the environment and people, which happen all over the place. One of the worst is elephants. We encounter this in our African and Indian projects. And uh, so as well as studying the elephants, we um, interview the villagers, and work on conciliatory approaches to this. So again, um, you know, trying to uh, walk with the people in, in a local way. So what makes us unique? Um, these field study centers make, mean that we're in there for the long haul. We don't just parachute into an area, do some good, and then take off again. Um, once we have established a field study center, and like the one in the Little Campbell Watershed, we want to steward that on a long-term basis and have these relationships with both the habitat and the local residents. And along these long-term lines, um, from a scientific point of view, conservation science or any other science is trying to get publications, honors, or even some um, benchmark of ecological restoration. But um, to Russia, these these rewards, they might be there, but what really matters is God's glory. As Marku explains to our partners, we're there just to praise the Creator. Um, ultimately, that, that is our reward, to be able to, to praise the Creator. And uh, it's incarnational in that hands-on um, approach where we are disciples of Jesus who came to earth to serve in these practical and sacrificial ways, doing right and walking humbly. So hopefully these things make us distinct, but do they work? Is it successful? And depends a lot on your definition of success. It's a huge crisis out there. Arasha just has um, a field study center in 18 countries, one field study center. Um, there needs to be one in every community, but we do get this progress at local levels, and often it's very practical versus academic. And you can see some of the ways Arasha Canada is trying to address this, make it more academic, and also expand the model. You know, it doesn't just have to be a Rasha doing these things. Other people can, can do this style of conservation, especially in um, the spirit of Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, really uh, praying and seeking God's face as you look for this reconciliation between people and the land. And um, really, I, I would really covet your, your prayers uh, as we work on this at Arasha Canada um, it's not like uh, 
we've arrived. Um, this is our last board meeting. We discussed many big issues. We've got a lot of heavy lifting to do. So that's uh, Mark Hu, our executive director. On the left is Stanley Martin, our current chair. And uh, just finishing here um, with Peter Harris's words again, uh, I think helps reflect what I'm talking about. True worship of the living God is the wellspring for sustainable life. Christians care for creation not because it is now deeply fashionable. And Peter Harris was at this board meeting and he talked about how there's a quite a, a huge change both in uh, Christian and non-Christian uh, attitudes to the environment. Nor because they want their grandchildren to be able to see woodpeckers in the park or to watch deer in the countryside. For Christians, it is simply a matter of a right response to God whom we have come to know as our Father and Creator who has entrusted His earthly creation to our care. Win or lose, good weather or bad, caring for creation is an act of gratitude and can be offered up intentionally as an ongoing and vivid dialogue with the Lord of life. That's all I have. I wondered about the overlap between your mission and the one of Osavo. Mm -hmm. And that was one question that came to mind. And the other thing I wondered about was, are you into land trusts at all, acquiring land and, and somehow safeguarding it? Can you repeat the question? Yeah. Yeah, so the questions are uh, the, the overlap between our mission and the mission of Osavo. And so to the answer that first question, um, I think there is a lot of overlap, and I think there could be a lot more cooperation. And uh, John Wood actually asked me to, uh, to do some work on that when I have my upcoming sabbatical to try and, and uh, work together. But, uh, but a lot of the things the Sobel does are very similar, um, kind of different. The, the Sobel mission is, is more oriented towards education, but there's a lot of education that happens with the Rasha as well. And the, the second question was about land trusts. And uh, the interesting thing about Arasha, it has secured very little land throughout the whole world. And uh, the biggest piece of land I think we have in any of the 18 uh, countries is the one in Manitoba. And that's only 100 acres or something. So often, the way we've worked traditionally is just to steward the land. But if we were to get a huge gift of land, I'm sure we could, uh, we could manage to work with that. It's just traditionally we haven't had that. We've been land poor, but we've worked with other people that are already working on these things and working with people that are in land trusts. Okay. Uh, one more very short question. Uh, yes, uh, uh, this gentleman mentioned one other group, and I know of at least two others that are Christian uh, conservation groups, and I think these are springing up in a lot of different places, all hmm. starting from slightly different orientations, and I hope that eventually they can all grow together and mm -hmm. become a kind of network, reinforcing each other and reinforcing the good things in the secular uh, conservation mention of land ownership and, uh, hmm. of course, the largest organization that does that is Nature Conservancy. Yeah. That's a great comment. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Okay, Davis, thank you. All right. You're welcome.